I'd like you to open your Bible once again to the Gospel of John chapter 8. John chapter 8. The title of our message, this is part two, is We Can Be Free. I think being free is an assumption that all believers make. You join a church, you're genuinely born again. I mean, truly born again. Something good has happened to you. And I think the assumption is that now that I have been set free, that's pretty much it. Now I just engage myself in a Christian way of life, and that's pretty much it. Jesus said this, though, to us who are born again. He said in verse 32, he said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and our verse, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, I don't know how everybody interprets that or how they understand that. Some would say, well, once you know that Jesus died for your sins, and there is some response to that, then you're free. And in a sense, you are. In a sense, you really are. You are free now from the penalty of sin. No longer does sin own you in the sense that it can keep you from going to heaven, as far as I'm concerned. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And when you get saved, you don't know all the truth. You know just enough to get yourself born again. That much that God gave you. But he says, as a way of life, you shall know the truth. The rest of our life should be characterized by knowing, learning, seeking. We're told to seek. We're told to learn. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You don't know everything about him. You know very little about him. The stories characterize him as a wonderful savior, and that's good. But there's so much more about him that becomes personal and activates power and energy in your life. And you got to know that. You don't know that because you go to church. You don't know that because you sit in a Sunday school class. You hear about it. One of the great tragedies in Christianity that I mentioned last week in Timothy, is that people are ever learning, but never knowing. That doesn't sound right, but that's what it says. They're ever consuming facts, gathering together information here and here and here, but there's no evidence in your life that what you have learned rules your life. See, knowing is comprehending. It is one thing to know the answer to a question in taking a test without ever knowing anything else. You could forget the answer you gave as all of us could in school. You gave the right answers to test five years later, five days later. You couldn't have passed that test because you simply memorized it. You acquainted yourself with the answer to a test, but whatever you were talking about on that test, it, it didn't stay with you. And a lot of that's true with Christianity. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth does something. As you begin to know truth, as you begin to put things together, as you begin to search, and you begin to seek after, you seek, as the proverb says, for understanding. Like Jesus said in John 8, why do you not understand my speech? Remember that in John 8, 40 something? He said, why do you not understand my speech? And then he answered, he said, because you cannot hear my words. 
They were hearing something, but they weren't hearing what God was saying. Because you see, what God is telling us is designed to affect us in a way that we otherwise could not be affected. You can't just say, I'm born again, and then just find your church to go to, sit in a pew, sing the hymns, follow the routine, and that's all there is. There's much more to it than that. So much more. But he said, you shall be free. We asked the question last week, free from what? The truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from everything that bound you, owned you, ruled you, controlled you, made you give up, made you give in, gave you that ugly personality, made you that sassy, hard to know person. Everything that was different from what God wants, that ruled your life. The way we knew each other, we know you like that. You're like that. We're around you. We, oh, boy, watch what you say to her. Well, oh, boy, he's got a terrible temper. Those things ruled us, and God saved us like that. Do you believe God could save an angry man? Does anger just go away and never come back? No, sir, we are told that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, in Matthew 12, he said, he walks through dry places. The devil and his crowd wants a warm body to manifest themselves in. Lying spirits, deaf spirits, dumb spirits, deceitful spirits, spirits that delude the church. Remember the last days of depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits. These are agents of the devil who try to find people they can occupy so they can do their work. And every time the devil finds somebody he can occupy, that person, we call them bound. They're controlled by something that ruins their testimony. You just can't get over the hump. We talk to each other like that growing up. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I say that. Man, I say stuff like that all the time. Why do I, I can't believe I watched that. I can't believe we went there. I, oh, man. Good conviction. But it just gives evidence to us that even though you're a good church person and you're a good moral person, for the most part, you're not free. You're still controlled by stuff. You've been told what it is. You're even aware of it. But now you've come to the place where you're saying, well, you know, nobody's perfect. I mean, you can't just always do good. And so you begin to have that kind of philosophy in your life. So you quit trying to do good. Next thing you know, you're governed by something that aggravates you the rest of your life. Jesus doesn't want you living like that, does he? What's the purpose of all the word that God has given to us? Not only information, but you shall know the truth. Know it. Comprehend it. Grasp it. Get a hold of it. See what he's saying, and you'll be set free. Remember in the book of Proverbs, we read last week, Proverbs 11 and verse 7, at the second part of that verse, he said, through knowledge shall the just... Not the unjust, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. How important is it for us to teach and to learn? As Christians, how important is it for us to seek to know the truth? Do we know all the truth when we get saved? We know very little. 
I'm afraid sometime after 40 years, we don't know very much. But there's never a time in our life we quit pursuing truth. Men have told us, come through the years, said, well, you all know more than anybody. You know enough. Now you know. You know, I'm glad we know something, but we never know too much. I mean, know it in the sense of understanding it. Some people like to know things so they can be better and greater and more heady than everybody else. I'm talking about knowing something that liberates you, which is what the word free means, to be liberated by the word. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, because without knowledge... Without us learning and getting information from God on how to deal with us and our weaknesses and our problems, God said, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Doesn't it say that? My people are destroyed. They don't have to be destroyed. They should not be destroyed. In fact, the tone of the sentence is, my people are destroyed. That shouldn't be, should it? And look in Christendom as you've known it, in the little localized areas that you've known, your home or here. Look at how many people continually cave into weakness. Hard to tell the truth sometimes. Or wants to sass or pout or be upset and just do this kind. I mean, think of how easy it is to do that. Or lose your temper and be a difficult child to your parents and want to sulk. And make everybody irritated. Think of how, as a Christian, you do that. Do you think you should? Should that be our testimony? That was our testimony before we got saved. And if you're still doing it after you got saved, you're still bound. And that's not a good thing because that's not the kind of testimony that God has set somebody free because you're still the way you were. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In Isaiah 53, the Messianic Psalm, it says in verse 11, it says, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. His word, the light that he, he calls it light. Light makes darkness show what darkness is. You, personally. Who you are, how you act, how you conduct your affairs, the things you tolerate and allow yourself to do that you shouldn't do. Wouldn't God deal with that? He sure does. He goes, until conviction comes. Conviction is a good thing. Until you're sitting in a chair and suddenly it's the work of God. It's the work of his spirit. You get convicted. You say, hmm. Man, I know that's true, but boy, how in the world can I stop? How can I, how can I get over? How can I not? How could I? How could I? How could I? Well, the how could I is in the word. You shall know the truth. It's pretty simple. You shall know the truth. The problem is, do, are you willing? Are you willing to take what God said and live it? Are you willing to do what he said? And didn't he say in John 17 about knowledge? He said that knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord is how you're saved. I think he said specifically in John 17 and verse 3, he said, And this is life eternal, that they may know thee. Think of that. Not know about him. Not Sunday school stories, but to know him. It's like entering into a chamber and acquainting yourself with somebody. 
and letting somebody talk to you instead of you talking all the time and the saying things and you looking in the scripture to see and let God, let this picture of who he is come up in your life. Then you begin to see that some of these things in your life, it so binds you, you're so bound. Because you're bound, you're predictable. We know what ticks you off, so we don't want to, you know, tick you off. You shouldn't be like that. But God opens our eyes. We begin to see some things here. We admit that he is altogether right and I am altogether wrong. And that what he says there, he has said to me. And I must do that. Because I don't want sin to have dominion over me. Because he that knows, he that knows to do good. Doesn't the Bible say this? He that knows to do good. And doesn't do it, is unwilling to do it, doesn't see how he could do it, but doesn't do it to him, that person, to him, it's sin. And in that sense, when you don't want to deal with it, you're bound. The word can set you free. It's designed to set you free, but it won't if you don't respond to it. Isaiah 5.13 says, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. They don't have any knowledge. Church is almost in this hour that we're in has become an option. It's nice to do it, but you don't have to. You ought to go, but if you don't, it's all right. You're going to heaven anyway. I don't know where they get all of that, but that's the way they say it. Now, this morning, in closing this series, let's say that you're working on it. You're really doing well. We look at you now and say, boy, that, this person has, uh, they used to, you remember how they used to do this and say that? Well, they don't do that no more. They're growing. They're getting free from stuff. Remember how he used to be so lazy and he wouldn't, or she was, or they wouldn't work and they just kind of, but have you noticed how energetic they are now and how hard they're trying to do things that would be a good testimony? Isn't there things about our life that are a good testimony? How about the way you drive and you don't do that anymore? Do people notice? Well, they get in your car like, you got a helmet? Now... They get in your car and you stop at the stop signs and you drive the speed limit. And they go, wow, what's happened? You're responding to the truth. The truth is making you free. You've been convicted about the way you live. You've determined you can't do that anymore because if you do, it's sin. And I don't want sin to dominate me. So you back off and you begin to do things God's way. You're being liberated day by day. You're beginning to change little by little every day. He's changing me. That's the Christian's testimony. No, you're not perfect yet. But perfection is mentioned in the Bible that Paul wants to present every man perfect. So all these junky ways in our life, as the light of God's word shines on you personally, you've got to deal with it. Yes, we love you. Yes, we like you. I'm glad you're here. You're a good person. We're kind and thoughtful and all of that. But God doesn't want you to continue to live the way you used to live. He wants a husband and a wife. When you get married, the closets are opened. (laughs) And he wants you to deal with it. Let nothing the devil has done or is trying to do keep you from living the way God said you should. You overcome it. And you deal with it.
because I don't want to be bound by anything. I don't want to be bound by anybody. So Galatians chapter 5, our text for today, what do we do? If we are free, how do I stay free? Is that a valid statement? If the Lord has set you free, must you now stay free? Is it possible for you to be entangled again? Is it possible having put your hands to a plow, the Bible says, to look back? You're warned about it. It doesn't say you will, but you're warned about it. Does it say not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom? Well, that, that can happen. I mean, these are warnings in the Bible that cause you personally to be responsible. You can't say, well, now I'm born again. There ain't nothing can bother me. No. Now, God did his part. He liberated you from the penalty of sin. Sin is never going to quit knocking on your door, constantly trying to get back in. The devil is always going about like a roaring lion. Those unclean spirits try to come back in. And like I said a while ago in Matthew 12, and when these spirits go out of people, they come back. They don't say, oh, well, he's born again. She's saved. We can't do nothing with it. They keep coming back. The devil never gets discouraged. He keeps coming back constantly. He wants back in that house. He wants to redo you the way you used to be. He wants to ruin your testimony um, everybody you know, especially your parents and your friends, well, she tried. It was good for a while, but it didn't work. That. You know, the Bible said when the devil came back, he found the house swept, garnished, and empty. Nothing was put in it. They just became busy spiritually, I guess, religiously. They didn't build up anything. It's like Proverbs talks about a, a city whose walls are down have no resistance to the enemy. You've got to build things back. You've got to put things together. That's my responsibility in the Christian life. God holds me to that. Putting my hands on the plow, not something God made me do, is something he told me to do. I've got to do that. Now, Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore. Does that mean that you might not? Think of it that way. Stand fast, Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Why would he say that? You're a thinking bunch of people this morning. Why would the Bible say that to Christians? Stand fast, you that have been liberated by Christ. Praise God. That's your testimony. Now, stand fast. Stand fast. Fast. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8, it says this, Now we live if we stand fast. Who? Live means on his level, on his terms, and pleasing to him. He said, now we live if we stand fast. Same word. So it's a big word. Stand fast. Robert's word picture says, stay free. Christ has made you free, stay free. You mean the possibility that even though I have been made free, that I could uh, take for granted uh, a lot of stuff? Yeah. 
Your life could be nothing more than a religious exercise of futility. You go to church, you sing hymns, you put money in a box, you're elected to office, you're one of this and you're one of that, and that's Christianity to you. Not much about learning. People don't like that Wednesday night learning. You know, used to be in our church anyway. The Wednesday night church was a teaching time. If you had 200 people there on Sunday morning, you might have 20 on Wednesday night because they don't need it. There's nothing about them that they can see needs to be affected by the word of God. Didn't I go forward and get saved? Didn't I get baptized? Well, yeah, well, then what else is there? That's the attitude that Christians have. There's no striving to enter in. There's no fighting a good fight. There's no laboring to enter into his rest. I mean, it's like it's just automatic. Oh, well, if God wants me to have it, he will. And there's no personal warring. And consequently, people's life have no testimony. And historically, the busyness of the church, when it gets kind of dull, is to build a building. Build a building, buy some land, or add, make an addition or something. Because if we can all stay busy and laugh while we're busy and have a good time, we're growing in the Lord. We don't hear much word, not much study, not much interest in that. And I have to look at myself in the mirror, just like you do. And I have to ask myself the question, what value am I to God? If I don't walk in the light that he's given me, then what does he do with me in the furtherance of his kingdom? Of what value am I to him? You remember in 2 Timothy, the verse that says, In a great house there are not only vessels of, well, wood, hay, and stubble, things that are not useful to God. And then he goes on to say, If a man would purge himself from these things. It's something you do, though. He said, If a man will purge himself from these things that bind him, that control him, that hold him back. He shall be, he shall be, he shall be. Put your finger wherever you are and turn to 2 Timothy. Well, I just want you to see it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. He just said before that the Lord knows who his own people are. Now, let everyone that names the name of Christ specifically do this, turn away from iniquity. Iniquity is a word which to me more than anything else describes self-rule. Doing it my way, interpreting it my way and living by my interpretation and so forth. Now, verse 20, but in a great house are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and earth, some to honor and some to what? There are dishonorable things in all of our lives. You may not want to admit it because you may be a good church member. If I'm willing to recognize, as God points it out, as personally, but not being in a church necessarily, but being in a church, it starts. But I'm home alone driving my car by myself, and I'm realizing that God showed me some things about my life that don't honor him. I'm not useful. 
I'm not useful to God because the first time in him trying to use me that I get ticked off, I'm going to blow. I can't do that. I better quit. Stuff like that. Stuff that does not, cannot, and will not honor God, but honors the devil. And that kind of stuff is in different degrees and different ways in all of us. And Jesus said, you shall know what? And what will the truth do? You may not want to admit it. And if you don't, you can't get free. You have to stay bound. But if you're willing to be free, let God show you what you need to be free from. Now, back to this verse. In a great house, and not only things to honor and things to dishonor, but he says, if a man will purge himself, in verse 21, that's your responsibility. If a man will purge himself from these, he shall be. Does your Bible say that? All right, now stop talking about being free. If we are not willing to purge ourselves from the things that God shows us, then how can we be a vessel unto honor doing the Lord's work? We can do the church's work. That requires nothing of the Spirit. We can do church work. We can build things, fix things, and we can go places. But when it comes right back to that mirror on the wall, as we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, it is God who wants to transform us into the same image. And what we often are shown as we look at Jesus is what we're not. He can't trust us to go on a mission field if we're going to lose it somewhere. If we're going to get mad and pout and be a difficult member of a team. He can't use us. He has to leave you here. You can't handle your personality. The devil controls it. He's in charge of it. He runs it. And all he needs is a particular moment for you to blow up. And everybody around you loses respect for you. It's hard for God to use a man like that. He may know the Bible from that end to that end. can quote scripture day and night. But he's not useful to God. Listen to this. If a man therefore shall purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Sanctified, that means he is set apart and useful for the Lord, the master's use. And what else? And what else? And what else? And prepared for every good work. No wonder God can say, I need to send a man to somewhere or I need to send a woman somewhere or a person to do this. And he can pick out the ones he knows. There are people here that have good testimony all the time. They weren't born like that. I asked my grandson. I don't know where he is. There he is. He's asleep. I asked Gus once. I was teasing him. I said, Gus... Why is granny so mean? And, you know, most kids, when your grandpa's yakking like that, they don't pay attention to you. And I remember he was eating. He put his spoon down. He looked at me. He said, she's not mean. She's happy. <laughs> granny said, that's right. So she needs some deliverance. Made. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but why would he know that? Do you think every adult he's around is to him happy? Or peaceful, or cheerful, or joyful, or generous? 
We all, when we relate to each other, these men that came back from this trip, all, what, 19 of you? They know more about each other now than they have before, and they all got along. It was a bonding moment. They'll realize that later. They know who can be trusted. They know who can do what. They know who will put their hand to plow and keep a terrorist done. They know who can hang in there day and night working. They know that now because that's their testimony. And the more we live for, to please God and to do things his way, that becomes a testimony we all want. We're Christians. We are Christians who are serving the Lord, and that's what we want to do. Now, Galatians again, Galatians 5, if you go back there to it. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the freedom that Christ has made you free with in John 8. Stand fast and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. One translation says this, for freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Let me ask you this. Who is behind a yoke of bondage? Would you agree with me that the devil is behind that? Is he not the one who wants to bind you and keep you bound? Why? Why? So you can't be used usefully and honorably to the Lord. A good church member, a good, yeah, you can be a good Methabadby Presbycostal. Most people are satisfied with that. But for some of us, hopefully all of you, I want to be a good Christian. I want it to be said to me by the Lord when it's over. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want. And I hope everybody in the church can do it, but I'm not depending on a church for my salvation. I'm not depending on a preacher for my salvation. I'm depending on the work of God for my salvation. And he that started this work is one actively involved. He sent his spirit to do this, to constantly deal with us, to clean us up, clean us up. Didn't he say in John 15, 3, now you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you? Isn't the word that he said he would cleanse his church in, in Ephesians 5, the marriage chapter? That he would sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of water by the word? We've got to have a constant flow of the word in our life. We'll never get away from our need for it. Every decision I have to make, would it please God to do this? What does the Bible say? And so forth. Now, stand fast, meaning that now that I am free in the Lord, it's possible for me to be bound again. But not if I hold fast to the word as God shows it to me and overcome. See, the work of God is to set you free. Your responsibility in cooperation with him is to stay free. To stay free. To keep yourself clean, to shun the appearance of evil, to avoid this, to not do that, not go there, stay away from this. If they have a form of godliness, even religiously in church stuff, if they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it, what does it say? Stay away from them. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. 
And most of us are too nice to stay away, but that's what it says. And I said earlier, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he doesn't stay away and say, well, I lost Hamilton. On the contrary, the unclean spirit who is very familiar with the house he came out of, he says, I know where Hamilton's weaknesses are. Every time this happens, he does this. Whenever somebody says that, he does this. And when he doesn't get his way here, then this is is the way he does. I will so disrupt his early Christian life. I will so subdue him and make him feel like, I just can't do it. It's just not for me. I think I'll just get in there and wear him out. So he'll quit the Christian life early. He started, but he won't finish. So what does he do? Here he comes. He comes whispering. He comes speaking to your mind. They don't like you. Are you going to take that from them? Do you hear what they said about you? I'll tell you what. Come on, are you a man or not? Just do something, not that God wants you to do, but do something a man would do. You'll be admired by men that are going to perish. They would admire you. Or you can just overcome and turn the other cheek. Ooh. Well, it's your choice. You either want to purge yourself and get clean and stay clean, or you want to maintain who you were. But if you want to be who God wants you to be, you're going to have to stay free. Recognize that what I'm being tempted with is the devil. He wants to get back in this house with his buddies and make me worse the second time afterwards than I was before. That he can't use me anymore. Look at Galatians 4. Boy, there's a lot in the book of Galatians. But look in chapter 4 and verse 9. Paul says, but now after you have known God, (laughs) it doesn't look like it, so let me say it this way, or rather are known of God. God knows you. It doesn't look like you know him. Could that be possible? That's what that means. But now that after you've known God or... At least you're known of God. Notice, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. No doubt here talking about the difference between the Old Testament way and the New Testament way. One was the law and one was faith. And there were always those people in the early church who wanted all the Christians to have to continue to go through the rites of circumcision and observing the rules and the laws. And if you didn't do that, you couldn't be saved. And for those people who felt like maybe they ought to do that, Paul said, how turn you again to the very thing that slew you? The law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. The law is holy. It's a defining of God. The problem is you're in sin, Romans talks about. Your sin keeps you from being able to do that. You give up real easy, real quick. Because something in you tells you that you can't and so forth. And so you don't. And the very thing that was good and holy to guide us became the very thing that slew us. Is the law evil? Paul said, God forbid. Of course it's not evil. It's holy. The problem is sin. Our weaknesses. The way we were raised and trained all these years of our lives. All of the philosophy of the school system, our parents, our friends, what we read in the paper, our personal opinion and how we put things together, that's what ruled us. 
We've convinced ourselves we can't live this. Nobody can live this way. I can't remember this. I can't walk this way. It's too hard. It's over my head. We convince ourselves of that. But the Bible doesn't say that. Everything that's over your head, God sends the Holy Spirit from above who's over your head. And he comes down to take residence in us so that we can live a life that he wants us to live. And tells us, you can't go back and observe the law and make yourself right with God. The law wasn't designed to make you right with God. You can only be right with God by following what he shows you. Faithfulness. I mean, it's as simple as that, but it's as difficult as that. So, Paul says, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? God saved you and brought you out of a dead system. I had to leave the church I was in, not because I didn't love the people. I loved all of them. I grew up there my whole life, Christian church. Things happened, things changed. And when the preacher begins to say things in his sermon that are directed towards you, best thing for you to do is leave. And I did. I couldn't stay there and live the life that God was showing me to live. I couldn't do it. There was obviously a difference. So I went in and told the preacher why I was leaving. He was my friend. He still is. I told him I couldn't stay because I didn't want to go in conflict with him. I respected him as my pastor. He meant a lot to me when I got saved, kept me from backsliding once. And I'm not going to be his adversary. He said, well, what will people think if you leave? I said, what do they think now? I said, things you said Sunday were about me. We didn't talk about it. You just preached it. So I'm not going to get in your way. This is your church. God put you here. I grew up here, but you're the pastor. I'm out. I left. I could not stay there and grow because all of the things that I would do to grow would be offensive to somebody. That's religion. But we had to leave things to where we were, and I had to, to, to come to a place like this. And we sort of started all over. God began to show us a new and living way to walk. We couldn't have heard that where we were or preached that where we were. Where we were, people as good there as they are any of us, better than many of us, all of us. But there was a limit to what they wanted to hear. There was a limit to how they wanted to hear it. There was a limit to how much of the expression of the Christian life they wanted seen and heard. They didn't like emotion. They didn't like raising them a hand or saying amen. If they have a form of godliness, but they don't want anything to do with growth and evidencing change, then the best thing for me to do is leave. And I did. And I finally came back to Shelbyville for the second time. Thank God for that. But look at chapter 2, the same book, Galatians 2, and verse 4. And this... Because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us again into bondage. Let me tell you something. I think there's a lot of people that have been liberated from dead traditions who have hit that dry spot that Keith was talking about. They hit that dry time, a dry season in your life. 
It's a time of testing. What are you going to do now? Is God still rich and flowing as you said it was two months ago, two years ago? Or are you going to say, well, God's changed because I'm dry? Or are you going to just worship in spite of it? Are you going to press in in spite of it? Are you going to cast away all your old ways? Well, I don't think it's any good anymore. Are you just going to say, no, sir, I know in whom I have believed. And I know it's still real. Hallelujah. Or will you give up? A dry time, we'll find out. We'll all find out how you're going to do. All of us will. In verse 4, he said, false brethren came in. They want to drag you back the other way. Some of your friends. I could tell stories that take way too long to tell these stories, how people came into a church like this and drew away disciples. And drew them back into the same ugly bondage they came out of. They were in a place where they were free. And now they're back in a place 30 years later singing the same first, second, and fourth stanza. Believing nothing more than they ever did. They wasted 30 years of their life. If they didn't gain anything back. I tell you what, I want to escape. I do. As God's my witness. I'm for everybody out there. I'm for every human being on this earth. I don't want to be like any of them. I want to be like Christ. And if it means I offend them all, then I'll have to offend them all. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to live a Spirit-filled life. I want the Word to dwell in me richly. I want to know in whom I have believed. And I want to have the courage to stand for what I believe and, and not falter and fail in the midst of the storms of life. I want that. I'm not naturally like that. Neither are you. We're all weak when it comes to life. We give up easy, some sooner than others. But God wants to change us all until we stand fast. Not cave in and not give in to our weaknesses. But we crucify our flesh with all of its junk. So that we can be set free. Now, specifically, as we do come to a close... Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. The question now, how can we stay free? We know that I have the responsibility of overcoming and staying free. How do I do it? How do I do it? Well, it's very simple. I think it's very simple. How do we do it? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. Above all. You know where we're going, don't you? Above all. What does that mean? First, stop. In all the things he just said about spiritual warfare, and all the important things he said, you may be able to withstand and so forth. Then he comes to this, verse 16, above all. Uh-oh, this is important. Above all, taking the shield of faith. With it, You will be able, you will be able, as God has made it this way, you will be able with the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of Satan. What is a fiery dart? Whatever he does to harm, to kill, to steal, or destroy. To disappoint, to grieve, sadden, make you want to give up and quit and make excuses. Those are darts, fiery darts. 
Fiery means they come with a flame. They don't go out quickly. They stay there for a while, and then they smolder. And then there's a residue that it, it leaves a scar in your life. And he said the thing that quenches all of them, think of it. Everything that weakens us, everything that holds us down and is robbing us this morning, everything can be quenched by the one piece of weapon that God gave it, by the shield of faith. It covers all of it. A shield of faith is not a little garbage can lid. It's not a little circle you hold up like it's here and try to get all them darts at one. It covers your body. It covers you. Now, it does sound like a drum. Did you know that? The shield of faith sounds like a drum with all them darts hitting it. All day long, you didn't know that. But God, by the inspiration of his word, said, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith where which you may be able to quench every thing the devil is throwing at you in your family in your life in your body in your money whatever in your life that's distracting you disappointing you dragging you down it's a dart and the one thing that does it keeps it from working holds them back is a shield of faith now isn't that implied listen to this now faith comes how by hearing and hearing by what And the word of God is called the truth of God. Thy word, John 17, thy word is truth. So, wouldn't it be true? You shall know the truth. Knowing in the sense that your eyes get opened. I don't mean knowing in some academic, you know, Jesus took my burden and he rolled his... Not that. I'm talking about an awareness, an inward reality of an event that happened in his life that has spiritual significance to me now. Something that I don't have to try to remember. It becomes a part of my thinking. It's like faith. When I have faith, I don't have to try to think of how to use faith. Faith just works. Sin just works. It's natural for your faith for a Christian to, to, to just know that, amen, praise the Lord, the blood of Jesus. You just use your faith. Thank God. I thank you, Lord. You'll heal that. You'll fix that. You'll do that. You'll take care of that. You'll supply that. How do you know he would? Because he said he would. Well, look at all the people he didn't do it for. That doesn't mean he doesn't do it. I don't care if he didn't do it for 50,000 people. If he did it for one who believed it, that's the reason he did it. 50,000 people quoted the Bible. 50,000 of them may have claimed it. But only one in his heart was sure. Otherwise, you're going to have to say that God does it. He may not do. He may want to give you something. He may not want to give it to you. I don't care what you ask. That's not what the Bible teaches. You shall know the truth. Faith comes by hearing. You shall know the truth. And the truth, which produces faith in your life, will liberate you. Your faith in God will liberate you from your fears of tomorrow. It'll liberate you from the fear of what if, of the storm, the snow, the whatever, a disease, a forecast. Why are you not 
held down by these things. When somebody says, oh, the, some version of the flu is going around and everywhere it goes, people just die. Why doesn't that bother you anymore? Because you know in whom you believe. God says, greater is he that is in you than anything outside of you. Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it, and you will. He can't say more than that. He's offering you whatever you want, what things soever you desire. Delight yourself, the psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. I don't care who tries to explain that away. It still says what it says. 50,000 weren't sure, number one, that one person was. I don't believe that God is my healer and my sustainer and my keeper tonight because it's worked for somebody out there. I believe it if it worked for nobody out there because I see it in the word myself. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not basing what God does on what he does in a mass of people. You know, he did it for me. I believe. And I know you believe, and he'll do it for you. The things we want to see happen are going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen here for a lot of people. Wonderful deliverances are going to take place. You wait and see. Because somebody's going to believe. And you hold that shield up. And the enemy comes in like a flood. I believe one of the standards that God raises up against him is that shield. He gives it to you. Those darts are hitting that thing and all the devil can do is go, man. Then would the devil be an enemy of you learning about faith? Of course he would. Why? Because that's the only thing that can stop him. The devil goes about like a roaring lion, Peter said, didn't he? Whom resists steadfast in the faith. James said, resist the devil in chapter 4. He said, resist the devil and what will he do? He'll flee from you. Listen, all of us in here that have been set free by Jesus, we can stay free. We will be under attack. That's why the Bible says fight the good fight of faith. You are now, because you've been delivered from your sins, the only thing you've got are words. That's all you've got right here. Nothing you can see, touch, feel, taste, or smell. Your physical senses are not involved here. All we've got is this book. Now, the faith you need comes from the pages of this book. It's what God said will either occupy and control or you will be talked out of it, or your mind, which maybe isn't being renewed like it should, will give in to the fact that we can't do that's too much, it's too hard, too far, too hot, too slow, too young, too old. We just can't. And you can't. But somebody will. Somebody will. Somebody's going to. Paul wrote, he said, I know. I know in whom I have believed. And you know what? I am persuaded and I am convinced. A lot of people, I think, in a church are persuaded that what the Bible says is the word of God. They're not persuaded that he'll do it for them. They know he could. They know he has. They know he's capable. They're just not convinced that he'll do it for them. Why? 
because the way they were raised, the way they were taught, the philosophies of life. They prayed and didn't get healed. Mom prayed, she didn't get healed. Grandma prayed, she didn't get healed. How do I know he heals? Because you're basing what God does on people's experience. You got to base what God does on the Word of God. Isn't that true? If I base the Word of God in my family that brought me into this world and my ancestors, I wouldn't believe anything. They all went to church. My daddy's a good Catholic. He beat on his chest his whole life. The whole bunch of them were Catholics and Christians, and they were all religious. And we lived defeated, poverty spirits. Groaning, moaning, marital discord, disease, sickness. Nobody ever did a thing about it because nobody knew they could. Nobody ever taught us. Never taught us. So growing up in that family, I just assumed, like you do, that's the way it is. And one day you go to church and somebody says, that in itself is a lie. You go, wait a minute, if God does anything, why isn't he doing something? It's just like saying, does God save the lost? then why aren't the law saved? Doesn't he do that? Come on, doesn't he do that? Then why aren't they saved? I've had people say to me, well, if God heals, then why aren't so-and-so healed? I said, well, God saves, why aren't they saved? Because they don't believe. They acknowledge that there is a God in heaven, there is some eternal energy. They have some view of God, They don't believe anything for their salvation. They say in their iniquitous, lawless thinking, if I go to church, if I try hard, I do better, give a little money, surely I'll go to heaven. And my answer to that is, if that's all it takes to go to heaven, then Jesus Christ had no reason to come to this earth because all you've got to do to be saved is go to church. Problem is, you're a sinner going to church. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to repent and turn from your sins. And once you do, you've got to recognize the the terrible tragedy of, of sin in your life and then start dealing with all these dark areas and hidden closets in your life because you're full of it. You're full of all these things that defeated us. We were trained by our parents and spirits in our lives. Spirits? Didn't the Bible say something about having then these promises? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, he said, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. What about those religious spirits that taught us if we'll just go to church and take a seat and give some money, we'll go to heaven? That's a lie. That's a lie. You believe that. That thing became a resident part of your thinking. It controlled the way you live. You were bound to that. You were depending on your thinking, not on the word of God, but what somebody told you. And you lived bound. And you weren't free. How are you going to get free? Believe God. I know in whom I have believed. I've never seen him. I've never heard his voice. He's never touched me physically that I know of. I believe that the content of this book is what God has given to me as a Christian to live by. I'm told that it's not accurate, that it's been messed with, and it's not true. I can't do anything about that. I'm going to live like it is true.
I'll be a fool for Christ. I'll take him at his word. I believe that God was able to preserve his word throughout all the ages of history and give it to us in his pure form. I believe that. So therefore, I'm just going to count on God to do what he said. And the devil says, you can't do that. I'm going to raise up the shield that says, I can do all things through Christ. You know how I believe that? I keep my face behind the shield. Instead of going, is it working? Here comes one right in my head. I trust him. I depend on him. For money, for health, my body, my mind. For you all, us here, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you can pray now and believe God and have an effect. You know, everybody is affected now because of faith. You know that I can pray for you and God can affect your life? I can pray for my wife and God can affect her life. I can pray for my granddaughters and my granddaughters and my grandsons, and God can affect their lives. How do I know he will? Because he said, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe, you're going to get it. They're going to heaven. They're going to heaven. They'll wake up and get it right and go to heaven. Amen. They will. How do you know that? Because I believe that. I'm not making that up and saying, well, I'm going to believe it because I can make it up. I'm going to believe it because it's in this book. Now, in closing, to believe, to trust the Lord, to depend on God essentially means that you're going to overcome because the devil is never going to back off. He's never going to back away. He's never going to leave you alone. He's always going to come at you. But listen to this. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able, but will with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape that you can bear it. Therefore, whom should I fear? Why should I ever back off and say I can't when God says I can? I need to take the T out of can't and accept the fact that if God said it, then it's so. Yes, I recognize my limitations more than you do about me. Yes, yes, yes. But I also know that what God has started in the likes of me and you, he'll finish it. When we all are here at the end, when we stand on this earth in the latter days, when the Lord comes, we'll be ready. There's a fast work that's going to take place in the last days, a quick work in righteousness. God's going to finish what he started, and he'll have to hurry it up. So in that sense, there's going to be a little mini revival. Something that's going to cause us to be turned to heaven as we've never been. And I want to close this morning by reading for you something from Alden Wilson Tozier, A.W. Tozier. Many of you have heard of him. This was sent to me by... Brothers in England, I thank you for that if you're watching. It has to do with Luke 18 and verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? He'll find everything else, but will he find faith? Now, here's what he said. 
In our day, you can find plenty of men and women in all walks of life who live like the devil while insisting that they are sensitive to religion. If an evangelist sweeps through and the excitement gets big enough, they will go to the meeting and will swell the crowd and contribute to the offering, and it will look big. But here's the catch. Actress all over, the moral standards of the community are right where they were before. I contend that whatever does not raise the moral standards and consciousness of the church or community or the believer has not been a revival from God. The God, little g, the God that men believe in now and to whom they are sensitive is a kind of divine pan. Remember Peter Pan, that little mystical figure of pan had a body like a man and a torso and had a goat body. is ignorant, but it was Greek. The God that men believe in now and to whom they are sensitive is a kind of pan who, with a pipe who plays lovely music while they dance. But he is not a God that makes any moral demands on them. I will say that any revival that will come to a nation and leave people as much in love with money as they were before and as engrossed in human pleasure is a snare and a delusion. True faith in God, not any God, not in religion, but faith in the sovereign God who made heaven and earth and who will require men's deeds, that is the God we must believe in, my friends, Believing in him, we will seek to crucify our flesh and put on the new man which is created in holiness. That kind of faith in God is all but gone. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on earth? A.W. Tosher. Well said. Bow your head. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks for all the wonderful and noble and good things that you do for us, with us. And we thank you for your promises. I pray, Lord, that you who have saved us, who have brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light, will give us a personal, any inside revival. Make me to be like Jesus. Let me be one of those that can enter in through that narrow gate. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Cause us to trust you, to love you more than life itself. Open our eyes, Lord, and let us see what we haven't been seeing the way we need to see it. I ask you to bless this congregation that's gathered here, those that watch. Grant us all a deeper awareness of who Jesus is and what he wants. And may we be yielded to him that he may have his way with us and in us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, while your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, let me ask you a question. Are you willing are you willing this morning to recognize your need? Your sins have been forgiven. That which is going to keep you out of heaven, God has dealt with. But are you willing to deal with your life and make it count for Jesus? 
Are you willing to let him do what he wants to do in you? Are you willing to grow up into him, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that it be no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you? Are you willing? Nobody can answer this for you. It's personal. You must answer this yourself. So I ask you this morning before we dismiss ourselves and go home, are you willing? Are you willing to let Jesus have control and overcome all this stuff in your life? Choice is yours. Thank you, Lord. Stand to your feet. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Amen. He is able to keep me from falling And to present me before His glorious throne I shall appear without fault and with joy For He is able, yes Jesus is able To keep me from falling, He is able To present me before his glorious throne I shall appear without fault and with joy For he is able, yes Jesus is able To keep me from falling, he is able Oh, let's fill this house Let us fill this house with praise to the Lord For He is worthy of praise Let us fill this house With praise to the Lord For He is worthy of praise So worship Him with all of your heart Unspeakable gift. Hallelujah.